I'm told we're live. Okay. Greetings and welcome to the Sarah Image Experiment. Tonight we're going to be doing a show on um, addiction and how magic, occultism and spirituality can, can help you on, on your journey to recovery. With me I've got the uh, magnificent Keats Ross of Brad Magic and we've also got Derek Hunter, author, um, experiencer and... Um, Welcome, everyone. So um, where do we start with this <laughs> multifaceted um, thing about like addiction, magic? Keats, let's start with you. How, first of all, how did you get kind of into drugs and um, how did you use spirituality to get out of your addictions? Um, that's a good question. Uh the confluence was always kind of there. You know, I, I think I was a little bit of a late bloomer. I moved out on my own around like late 16, 17 years old and finished high school on my own. Um, and that was kind of the culmination of, you know, dealing with kind of abandonment issues and distress uh, through, you know, drinking and, and excess. And it kind of, but there was a parallel to, magical practice at that time i was also voraciously reading you know a lot of chaos magic texts and was very involved with like the disinfo culture of the richard metziger era so it was very parallel and of course you know there was diary of a drug fiend which you know in my lowest kind of low in my early 20s you know i was reading while battling um you know heroin addiction and there always seemed to be a kind of okayness with the confluence. Um, not that I'm a huge Crowleyite in any case, but, um, you know, that book kind of spurred a lot of my chagrin or like nonchalance about my own kind of hollowness and escapism. And, uh, you know, when I was at the lowest of my low, it's when kind of magic depleted entirely. I didn't have a spiritual praxis. I didn't have, you know, a lot of anchors or anything. I really thought that I was on my way out and there was nothing, <clears throat> you know, booing me to any degree. And I remember I still have it. I actually posted it on my wall. I wrote kind of a, um, you know, I've been in and out of like mental institutions and, you know, detox centers. And I was just pretty much on my way out. And, I remember sitting in my like abandoned dark apartment on my really bad year, the year I spent in Phoenix, Arizona about 10 years ago and wrote myself. I had recalled kind of intention and manifestation. And I wrote this letter basically being, you know, method acting about how to get out of it and what I need to do to move on. And you know, in short order, it worked. It, it like really rejuvenated me and motivated me to, you know, kind of seek the other again to commune with my mental health a bit and pull myself out. Now, you know, it wasn't a clean break. I think a lot of you can agree that recidivism is pretty, you know, normal, I think, for a lot of ex-addicts or users. So 
it was a few years of dipping back in and dipping back out. But, you know, uh, as, as my kind of conscious praxis grew stronger and, you know, my spiritual uh, musings and whatnot, um, I found that it kind of evaded a lot of that hollow emptiness, need for dissociation um, that riddled my life when I was younger. So, yeah, and that's kind of where we here are today. You know, I'm I'm still, this is a huge confluence for me, especially when it comes to mental health. And in this day and age, having, you know, I was on medications and finally figured it out and sought help in my late 20s and eventually got to get off of those medications. So I'm going pretty commando. My brain is in commando mode without a lot of pharmaceutical help or you know insurance matters or any of that and so i've leaned heavily on uh my own kind of divergent magic to help you know um lift the physical the emotional the psychical the spiritual and um it's it's it works in in high regards for me and yeah that's really what brought me here today i'm really excited to keep continuing this discussion and you know there's there's a lot of hope in that and it's a continuing experiment yeah you know, such a good I, channel. Think, I think for me um and uh, i'm reflecting on this more and more the great greatest magical uh, work i ever did was stopping crack cocaine and and heroin and i was deeply involved in it how about you derek um what was your journey to this point well, I, I think it's in regards to addiction and um, in the in, in magical practice, uh, the occult. I think for me, it's a it's a it's an odd story because um, I I didn't really seriously get into the occult until I was in the throes of my addiction to crystal meth. Um, so I was a, a serious crystal meth user, doing it every day. Uh, I was the very first thing that I would do every morning was hit that crystal meth pipe and it was it was something that i was seriously in love with uh it was something that i worshipped and uh, i could not live without it and in the process of that this is again so interesting for it, that 10 year period same thing for keats about 10 years ago for me was when about the time when i was getting into it actually 10 years ago from january it was it was january of 2010 and it was through a, a woman that I was seeing, uh, and she was a dealer. And I originally tried to get um, uh, cocaine from her because I had done crystal before uh, in my twenties, and I, I never really, I never. Every time I had done it, I didn't like the the crash, the come down, the feeling the next day. And so uh, she told me, "Well, you know, just uh, just keep on doing it, and then you'll never crash." <laughs> that, that I did uh, eventually not over time it wasn't right away after meeting her uh, but anyway I was at that when I met her uh, I was not really what was this yeah I was I was I was reading about the occult but I and I was interested and I was getting into Robert Anton Wilson and so forth it was my I was starting to and I was into coil and I was curious about Coil and why they, you know, were kept on bringing up, you know, Austin Spare and Aleister Crowley and Magic. And 
So I was, you know, it was curious about it. And, um, and then my, my heavy substance use led me into deeper and deeper conspiracy theories. And, uh, I just, and it, you know, was, uh, had yet to come out of chapel perilous <laughs> at that point when it came to conspiracy theories, I had yet to really glean the, um, the, 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 the real deep philosophy of Robert Anton Wilson's agnosticism regarding conspiracy theories, because my mind was just so warped about from the drugs I was doing. So from there, I got into weird conspiracy theories, uh, especially with Stanley Kubrick and the Illuminati. And then through that, I think, you know, I'd always been kind of interested in, in, in some kind of revolutionary experience whether it would be political or metaphysical or personal. And uh, I'd always kind of shied away from the occult and was very skeptical of it. But then when I noticed that it seemed like the elites, the powerful, at least in these conspiracy theories, kept on pointing to the fact that the elites were practitioners of magic and that they were using it to control and manipulate us, right? Uh, that interested me. And then I, from there is when I started to like, well, if they're doing it, then let me do it. Like if, if, if there's a, if I'm going to, if the, if the way to empower myself is to use magic as they do, then let me go for it. So that's how I got into the, uh, uh, the occult was primarily because I was just, my brain was twisted from, from meth and other drugs and so I was doing a lot of psychedelics at that time, too. And so um, not to do my whole story. So let me fast forward, you know, to just when I decided that I was going to get away from this life of, of substance abuse. I realized that I had to use magic to help me because I had, I had done enough rituals by that point. About 2014. So four years later, um, but I was still drinking. So after I quit meth and hard drugs, I was still drinking. And that whole year after quitting meth was horrible. Uh, it was just as bad. Like alcohol to me, for me, was just as bad as as crystal. Um, and I did a number of bad things that year. Um, but so I did I did rituals to quit meth. I did rituals to quit alcohol a year later. Um, and then I... It, it worked, you know, and of course it had to do other things too. It wasn't just the magic ritual, but um, it uh, it was just interesting for me that I look at the beginning of my substance abuse issues, that period of like three and a half years where I was really, really bad in the throes of crystal meth addiction to ending it, uh, you know, really a big part of it helped that helped me to end it was was magical practice. Absolutely. My uh, journey through, you know, the first time I ever took a drug was like when I was uh, in first year at what you'd call high school, we call secondary school. I think I was about 11 or 12 years old. Someone gave me a line of speed. And from that day onwards, I was absolutely fascinated in, in the thrall of drugs. But um Parallel to that, I was I was reading Crowley, and and um, it seemed to me that drugs were magic. You know, the, 
pretty much inseparable. Altered states of consciousness allowed you to tilt the mirror to see things in a completely different uh, way. And uh, I hammered through the uh, 80s and 90s in a uh, pretty much a haze. And uh, this is still something I, I struggle with. You know, you guys are drinking coffee tonight. I'm drinking beer. So am I really in recovery or am I just sw switching um, heroin and crack cocaine for, you know, alcohol? I don't I don't look at it like that. I don't think it says cut and dry. I think, you know, as we were saying off air and uh Derek would be I think the authority on this because of his profession and his own story, but there is harm reduction uh I think in alcohol use. I don't think it's I don't think you can composite one over the other. You know what I mean? I I did uh personally and it's something I've been struggling with. You know, I only stopped drinking this past week for the 800th time, you know? Um, but I was using it uh, in lieu of like uh, my own mental issues, I would say, uh, the detriment of how I am in socio, you know, uh, persuasions, you know, talking or being, you know, interpersonal with people and stuff. I leaned on it too hard and it would, the casualness and the nonchalance of my attitude with it, I think was the more insidious factor. But if you put it on the altar of understanding, you know, that it can be a serious affliction in and of itself, I think that, you know, you can round yourself into a harm reductive state with it. I don't know, Derek, what do you think? Yeah, I think that it's, it's, I think the uh, one of the big problems with addiction is just how there's so much gray area. Um, it, it, it's it's definitely like addiction studies um, is something that it's not an exact science, you know, and 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 there's no one one methodology methodology or modality that's going to work. Uh, there's no one solution that's going to work for everyone. Um, and I do think, though, that there are certain things that you can kind of um, that are pretty consistent. And like so, you know, like when, when I when I quit Crystal and I, and I was like done with hard drugs. Um, I had been prior to my three and a half year run of doing Crystal, I was a pretty heavy drinker. But I, it never really resulted in me losing a job. Or, or committing a crime or getting a, I never got a DUI. So it did cause problems in my personal life. I, I, you know, I've had a problem with, um, with my anger. I, 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 I have a problem with, um, perceiving things in ways and my mind gets into, starts coming up with stories about other people and how other people view me. And so the alcohol would just make that worse. And yeah. so, you know, and, and uh, so it was a problem for me. Now, did it result in, again, like I said, I, I didn't go to prison, didn't go to right. do anything. I mean, I spent three days in jail, but that was for hitting a parking enforcement vehicle. With, I was kicking, <laughs> 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 which is dumb. Again, an example of my bad temper. Um, yeah, the only time I've been in jail is due to altered states, you know. <laughs> okay. 
what, what I brought that up though was that I wasn't intoxicated at, the, at that time. Mm. So, okay. so that's so what I'm, what I'm saying this is that when I quit Crystal, I looked back at my life and I said, okay, well, I was like a heavy drinker. And sure, like I got into fights and I kind of like it messed up some of my relationships, but like I never lost my job. I never got a DUI. I never went to jail because of it or anything. So I justified it. So I said, yeah. well, I'll be fine. I'll be okay to be drinking. But the problem was, though, my brain had already been uh, conditioned to waking up every morning with crystal meth. Right. So, and I didn't go. I didn't seek help at all. I didn't get, uh, I didn't go to treatment or rehab. Uh, I didn't go to 12 step meetings or any other kind of meetings. I didn't go to therapy. I just figured it was just a matter of will. And I could just, uh, you know, uh, I, I uh, was unemployed at the time and I got some jobs, but my drinking was so bad that I didn't show up. I, a few times I showed up drunk. Um, so it was just, uh, it, so was, there was that. Um, there was I got into a, a really bad uh, fist fight at my son's baseball game, uh, and uh, that was just a horrible experience. There was just a number of things that happened that showed to me that I had a serious problem with alcohol too. Um, you know, so just it, to unpack a little bit about that, you said that a year after that you quit, um, you know, using meth, it was a terrible year for you, right? Um, for me. Um, I had a lust for life like I had never seen before after I quit hard drugs. And it was like racing cars, you know, like I was just like hanging off buildings. You know what I mean? Like I had this, this zest. If I beat it, I could beat anything. And I was, you know, drinking a lot and getting in bar fights. And, you know, I was just like really a rabble rouser. And it felt like because I conquered that, like I could do anything. And that, sure. to me, was the insidious nature of how, you know, easy it was to fall back into the alcohol stuff. Sure, right. Yeah, and, and yeah. see, there again is another example. Like, there's no – it's so circumstantial. Like, these situations with addiction is just so different, you know. And, and, you know, it also depends on the drug of choice. Like, if you're – you know, for, for people who are doing meth every day for years, afterwards, your brain is fried and you have serious, serious depression – and a lot of people become suicidal, uh, you know, after quitting meth. Um, and that was how I felt. You know, I felt horrible. Uh, so I just used alcohol to relieve me of my mental state that my I had put myself through for those last, you know, almost four years. So um, I think uh, it, it, in regards to what you guys were talking about earlier with harm reduction. So that's definitely a controversial uh, thing. Uh, it's not something that is a, a neat and tidy subject either. Um, there's definitely, you know, as somebody who works in, 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 in the, the, you know, uh, recovery field, uh, there's some people who are for it and there's a lot of people who are against it. Uh, keep in mind that most people working in the recovery field are most likely 12 steppers and the 12 steps is about abstinence. Could, sorry, could I just stop you? Could you just define what you mean by harm reduction there? Yeah, yeah, I probably should do that. Okay, so harm reduction is this. So it, it first started out as being, it started out with heroin addicts. So it, they realized with heroin addicts, there was just it, more than any other drug, their recidivism was extremely high, and it continues to be that way today. 
Um, people who are addicted to any kind of opiate is just, it's very difficult to, um, to overcome that addiction. So I believe it was in the 60s or 50s, I think the 60s, early 60s, when they introduced this other drug. Uh, so it, uh, uh, God, I'm blanking out right now. I'm having a, barn, uh, a brain fart. Um, methadone? Methadone, yes, right. So right now, that's the big drug now is Suboxone, but back then it was methadone. So they introduced methadone and they introduced these methadone clinics. So methadone basically gives the person a very similar feeling to getting high, but they're not technically or supposed to be getting high, which a lot of people would disagree with that. The person really is actually getting high off of methadone. So the, the harm reduction was the people, there are a lot of people who at that time and still today feel, felt like, well, we would rather have people be addicted to methadone, come every day to get their, you know, come to methadone clinics. So it was a safe and legal way to get their drug. Uh, rather than to, because, you know, the vast majority of problems with heroin addiction, uh, besides, you know, obviously heroin uh, 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 um, deaths, uh, uh, it, 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 one of the other major problems is the, the, the pursuit of heroin, what people are willing to do to get heroin, to rob, steal, murder, just to get their, their drug, you know, and so it, 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 it was... A, they felt it was a reduction in crime as well, because if we allow people to have legal access to a drug that is not as pleasurable as heroin, but at least they would be able to do that. And there's been definitely studies to show that, that that's true, like that that does work. Uh, people are able to live lives and they will, you know, have jobs and they'll have relationships and pursue what they want to do in life. And they'll be on methadone, you know. But there's a lot of other people who have kind of miserable lives, too, while they're in methadone. So now that was the beginning of harm reduction. Now, harm reduction can be also uh, not everybody believes in this or agrees with this, but can can cover other areas of life. So in my personal believing belief is that everyone is in many some ways doing some form of harm reduction and recovery anyway. Like you go to a 12 step meeting. Most of the people there <laughs> drink, yes, they're drinking coffee nonstop at nine o'clock, ten o'clock at night, or and they're smoking cigarettes, you know. And there's it's it's the the stereotype of an AA meeting is that it's filled with smoke. Well, not nowadays, but in the old days, it used to be filled with smoke everywhere. And so it, that's a form of harm reduction: is that you take a hard drug, such as heroin or crystal meth or crack or cocaine or alcohol too, uh, and basically. The idea is whatever that replacement is, whether it's methadone for heroin or coffee and cigarettes for alcoholics and other drug addicts, it's a reduction in harm. Right. So it's a taper. Right. What, what, yeah. what they're tapering, there's tapering off. Like you can you can say when you're taking Suboxone, for example, people right. are supposed to be I am currently taking Suboxone, by the way. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So they, the doctors don't want you to be on the same level forever. So it's a tapering off is like uh, reducing the the amount or the dosage that you're taking. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I see this a lot too. You know, I'm seeing, uh, love everyone in the comment section too. Just shout out to Redbeard and, you know, everyone else that's Redbeard. Yeah. I've never heard of Redbeard. And there's also oh. 
Santa Maria. Oh, yeah. it's Santa Radio. Yeah. yeah. Uh, They're having a great discussion. I'm just right. keeping an eye yeah. on it. But there's a lot of, you know, like Michelle Embry was saying, um, you know, heroin to beer is harm reduction. And I agree. Yeah. Well, um, but it's also, it's also, you know, it's, it's dependent. Yeah. Like you said, on the variables of the self, right? Because yeah. I could, uh, be as problematic or as dependent on alcohol given enough time and care. You know? it's so it's dependent on the person. You know? addiction, you know. Yeah. They don't come overnight. Right. Exactly. And I, yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, people are talking about Kratom. Like, I still take Kratom every now and again. You yeah. know, actually probably more than I should. Um, but it's also, uh, it's, yeah, it, it definitely helped me in one of my recidivism accounts like years ago. And, you know, I, I swear by it. It also is, it's basically in the coffee family. So it's, it's kind of of that ilk, but it helps the opiate receptors a bit, you know, and it's a bit pain relieving after my back injury. So there's a, there's a lot of different things you can use to kind of substitute. And it makes me think though, like harm reduction in a metaphysical sense too, you know, like supposing or uh, supplementing, you know, uh, magic for or maybe like really intense magic, ceremonial magic, you know, very rigorous, uh, vigorous magic, uh, as opposed to, you know, the heavy, illicit states that you could get from drugs. Yeah. You know, well, because there's a lot of scary stuff too when practicing and that's what I did. I threw myself in a course of quite demanding daily uh, ritual. You know, I was doing uh, it was a, a Golden Dawn curriculum, kind of, um, perhaps a slightly new ageified. You know, I think the book that I was following was produced in the nineties, but it would have you doing your your solar adorations. You know, Libra Rash, so you had to get up at dawn and then. Um, noon and then uh, sunset, midnight. I was absolutely flying through that. And that, that absolutely uh, was a, I don't think I would have ever got dr off drugs if I hadn't had that, you know. It was discipline. It was, um, it was like boot camp, magical boot camp. Yeah. I've done prayers and rituals to gain the motivation to do stuff like that too. You know what I mean? Like there's been magical workings I've had just to be able to stick to a routine or like to find the pathway, you know, to keep getting up out of bed every day and doing a certain, you know, thing. So there's like there's levels, too, of, of the magical workings, you know, whether it be sigil magic or whatever. I think people take for granted when they're just getting into this that they need to go super big, you know, and I think a good way, you know, to start the harm reduction into magic would be to, you know, start small and, and, and do workings to gain the motivation to get, you know, the gusto to keep, you know, practicing and doing it. I don't know. One thing that I think it would be good to, I wanted to bring up and just in case it would be forgotten was that um, the book that you brought up Keats uh, earlier, the uh, diary of a drug fiend by Crowley. It's an interesting book. It's for one thing, it's like um, one of the best depictions of addiction, especially when uh, there's a, involves a couple, a man and a woman or any, yeah. any gender. You know, it, it really, 
it was so accurate, you know, um, very powerful story. And, um, but what's interesting about the book is Crowley has his own philosophy regarding addiction and he ha his own solution, which is about, um, he doesn't believe in abstinence or harm reduction. So he believes in that you should be able to continue taking the heavy, hard drugs, but only you, you have to be not, you're not supposed to be, uh, um, uh, a slave to the drug. So you're supposed to be able to do it. When you want to do it and only at certain times. And, um, and certainly that sounds very appealing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. But the reality is that, um, and I don't, and I think with Crowley's own life played out that way too, especially at the end of his life was that, 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 that is extremely hard to do. And I have really, it's hard for me to, to remember all the people I've known over the years who've done drugs, who could do it like that. Yeah. You know? And, 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 and Crowley was a master of his of will power, and uh, and he you know or not <laughs> he spent his whole life just focused on so many different practices that was devoted devoted to to his will right yeah and I I think that uh, for him being able to to do that would have been. Uh, um, perhaps, you know, possible, but it doesn't seem like it played out in his life. Um, but it's, so I think that it, that's why I think most people should go the abstinent route. And, 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 and so uh, Steve, you know, like I would say most people who have problems with hard drugs would probably be better to stay away from alcohol. You know, Keats and I have had this conversation many, many times. Um, my, my experience in running with people has been like most cases, it's better to stay away from alcohol. But that doesn't mean it's all the cases because I have, met, I have met I have met people I've met counselors who, who smoke weed and drink alcohol on the weekends and yet and they they seem to be able to make it and do it, uh, do their job, maintain their life. So uh, we make it work. I just don't think that's it's it's definitely possible. Uh, a person yeah. really. Has look at your life and really be honest with it to see, you know, I get to be honest with you guys. I drink too much tea and caffeine. You know, oh, like, that's a good problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> also, I have like five, five coffees, like two before I leave the house, three at work, you know, but the problem I have is I, since my brain was barely even formed, I've relied on this substance to, make me feel like this and that, that oh I'm feeling a bit too much like that exactly. so this so I've regulated my whole organism to you know without some kind of tobacco or uh, caffeine or alcohol I am really at a loss sometimes as to not so bad when I'm with the, my loved ones and stuff but when I'm in this flat you know I really am struggling with the variety at the moment to be honest it's the quiet moments right it's like yeah it, I don't know what to myself, and, and it's also you know i had that this whole thing when i was using it was like i have something in my pocket that can hijack any bad feeling i have you know and there was a comfort in that you know at the same time it's really just pushing back those feelings for a tundra or a tsunami 
uh, of it because it all comes up eventually. So, you know, it was more of like a an escapism or a disassociation. Uh, why I use whether it was even you know stuff that gets you high, the stuff that gets you low. It was always a euphoria that I was searching for, like you know, to commune with my brain chemistry in a way that I finally had control. Yeah. And um, yeah, and you know, when you were talking earlier, Derek, about you know the drugs go hand in hand with magic. I think that's true to a degree. I think it's more of like, you know, the psychedelic drugs, I think have more kind of worth and semblance with like intention and, and traversing, you know, the, the airwaves of the subconscious. Whereas like the hard drugs just seemed to disassociate me from myself. I didn't feel like a true connection with anything. It was more of an escapism. Well, you know, if we're talking about mental health, uh, hard drugs are really um, self-medicating for some um, unresolved shit that happened in our childhood or whatever. Really, you know, and, and being with quite a heavy drug-using set in my late teens, early twenties, a lot of damaged people there that possibly would not have survived without the blanket of heroin. Crystal meth has never been very big up here, but crack cocaine certainly was. <clears throat> you know, so what is the greater damage? Yeah, I absolutely agree. And there's, you know, there's a lot of socioeconomic, you know, identity too with the nature and use of drugs. You know, as a poor kid growing up too, it was always around me. And I saw it, you know, kind of put people, like put food on tables for neighbors and whatnot. There was like, which I don't think, you know, they would have been able to survive without that kind of... Absolutely, that's the drug economy. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's a really... It's it's a hard notion. That's why I don't want to speak too elegantly about, you know, things outside of my own purview or, you know, um, yeah. when experience. They, when, I, when I was talking about, uh, you know, my, uh, my experiences with substances and in getting into the occult, it was just my experience. You know, I don't think that uh, just because, you know, I, I was on crystal meth and, and my, you know, in one of my, one of my ends to the occult was conspiracy theories. And so uh, the meth is definitely a, a big supporter of conspiracy theories. Absolutely. Um, and so, but, uh, but, but in, in all honesty, like my magic has been a lot more uh, beautiful and effective uh, as a sober person. You know, I, I really feel that my practice has benefited in my sobriety. Um, but certainly, yeah, I mean, I think it um, certainly I think alcohol or wine definitely uh, uh, plays, I think, for a lot of people who do practice. I think they probably include that uh, in, 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 in weed. And uh, and again, like you said, Keats, uh, psychedelics. Um, so I think it. Uh, you really have to find out what works for you. I, 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 yeah. I think that um, it, it, our bodies seem to be designed to be addicts for some weird reason, because, you know, if you look at most people, they're addicted to something. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's one way or another, you know, and, and um, even if it's a healthy addiction, like I used to go to the gym before the coronavirus and I would, you know, I, I found myself becoming addicted to going to the gym you know, going four times a week and uh, it would just feel great because it would give me this beautiful head rush. You know, I just, uh, 
these endorphins being released from my exercise. And it was great. And um, I think that um, a lot of people become addicted to work uh, and uh, find find their way uh, of doing that. Whatever a person is addicted to is that you have to always on it, be honest with yourself. Is like, what's going on in your life? Is it causing problems in your life? So I think for you, for Steve, if you're finding that the alcohol is really not causing any problems, like you look at your life, look at your daily life, look at the times when you're drinking alcohol and what's happening, like in your mind and your behaviors with other people. Uh, you know, Keats and I have talked about this many times in, in our private conversations, you know, and um, that's why I, for me, as I'm, I abstain from alcohol, I have to, not only just for behavioral reasons, but for my health. Uh, but I, I knew, you know, talking to, to when you and I, Keats, would have these conversations. I, my, my gut wanted to tell you to abstain, but I also feel that you had to figure out what worked for you. And you were yeah. kind of explaining to me that you were okay with alcohol. So right. I, I felt like, well, then maybe he's, he'll be fine, you know, because it's so hard to tell that line where your life is fine with alcohol and your line is, is shit is, is a very fine line. And uh, it's hard to know what would be better to abstain or to, to drink moderately. I yeah. was definitely treating something, you know, very deep and inner, um, you know, with it. I was leaning on it too much. And the fact is, is like, yeah, maybe a lot of the okay jovial nights like outweighed the dramatic ones, but the dramatic ones were bad enough to warrant not having that pathway again. You know what I mean? At least for a time. Yeah. For me, um, my alcohol thing, I mean, I was, I was a heavy drinker when I was a teenager also, and I, I used to be quite a bad drinker, you know, I'd black out and, all my friends would tell me the next day, oh, my God, you said that to this person and you did this and you, you stood up on the table and took your trousers down and all that kind of embarrassing stuff. But the Suboxone, because I'm, on, I'm just on two milligrams daily, but that seems to have ironed out the excesses of, you know, I don't black out in alcohol. I can kind of drink socially. And to me, it is just a way of surviving without the drugs that I really kind of, you know, my dream world is obsessed with drugs. Every single night I'm dreaming, I'm scoring, I'm in this situation. You know, I have not left my addiction behind. When did I give up? Like 2016, four yeah. years ago. Uh, I've maybe taken heroin once, Valium a couple of times, crack a couple of times. Yeah, long time ago, but I honestly think that if I was just to to just go straight, I would probably lose my mind. It's uh, it's it's uh, definitely was a gradual thing for me. You know, Derek's right. We he's been kind of a cornerstone for me in correspondence and going through it. And you know, with someone as you know, and of his nature and his background and you know what he does for a living, it's been totally invaluable to me but there were many weeks where i would harm reduce and i would try we we've discussed it greatly where 
you know, I, you know, well, I'm drinking, you know, two bottles of wine a night, you know, I'll just taper down to one or, you know, it was all this because you couldn't, you can't do like, I don't believe it's good to just shock the system. You can't just, and I've done that. How I've gotten over things have been cold Turkey and I've almost died, you know, multiple times. And it was unsupervised a lot too. So, uh, I totally agree with the idea that, you know, like the idea of Suboxone, I think, is a really it's a kind of a grand one, too, because you get sick if you use, you know, with it in your system. Right. Well, you and, just get high. As yeah. Well. It just kind of blocks it. Yeah. And, you know, that that gives you the ability to taper off, you know, gradually. So there's no shock to the system. You know, I've devised because I'm a bit. Um, how do I put this? I guess OCD about things and you know there's a lot of mental health stuff going on that I was able to kind of kind of throw asunder you know with the use of alcohol or whatever you know over the past year or so and uh I ch- devised you know this daily divergent magic ritual thing uh which is like I'm I'm piecing the day together like a very long ritual and I've got it I've got it all like written out you know that it gets like really uh like really specific with times yeah. is and that everything to what you said a while back yeah 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 and I I found though like in what Stevie was saying I found though me going okay I'm going to start it Monday and go full hardcore right like it it didn't work well because I tried to thrust myself too overtly and, you know, the shock to the system was too much so that I would end up, you know, kind of putting it by the wayside because I'd just be so tuckered out and I put too much expect expectation on me, you know, to do it. So in a way I've found, you know, kind of a taper into it, which is, you know, I'll seed a, a few of the things, you know, for a couple of weeks every day and gradually grow with that. So I think it's just in our chemistry that we have to like pump the brakes a little bit without crashing the car into a wall. You know what I mean? Right. Like we need, we need the transitory state of it. Yeah. Yeah. It can be very dangerous to just suddenly stop doing something Mm -hmm. or even start suddenly start. (laughs) Yeah. Remember you you're doing that uh, daily ritual. I thought well, this is great, but then it yeah I could see it was a little bit too daunting. There's just too much involved. Yeah, and like slowly building into it, you know, like you know, one step at a time, uh, makes a lot of sense. You you know, I think it's important to know like when you do a lot of heavy drugs or alcohol, it takes a real big toll on your not only your body but your psyche. And uh, some people even believe, like, if someone has been addicted to a drug since their teens, that their, uh, you know, emotional intelligence, uh, social skills, uh, certain other kinds of understandings uh, reverts back to that time when they quit doing that drug. It reverts back to that time when they first started it. So let's say I started doing heroin when I was 16 and I stopped when I'm 36. So I've been doing heroin for 20 years. Then uh, when I stop, according to to a lot of people, your uh, ability to comprehend things and navigate life goes back to that 
period when you first, right before you first started doing that drug. Um, I'm not sure if it's as clean cut as that. I mean, eventually, I, right? Like, I had that. I think it's, there's something to it, though. I think that there's because uh, when you stop doing something, your your ability to do even some basic things is can be very difficult. I felt like um, when I stopped the the heroin, the the, the crack, and the, the the whole scene that I was in, that I, I kind of I'd missed such a large chunk of my um, formative years, you know. So I'm, I'm starting in my late teens. I kind of recover in my early thirties. So I felt like, oh God, I've, I haven't learned to drive. Um, you know, I, I was way behind. So in many ways, it felt like I was um, twenty years younger than I was. But, and, and, you know, you've got to make up that ground somehow because yeah. you've. How can you and to employers, you know, uh, to suddenly start? I'd never considered getting a job as a serious option. I thought I was like, oh, I'm on the scrap heap, you know. As many drug addicts feel, they feel yeah. like they're so out of society that there's no way back. Um, luckily, I did have other interests. Magic was a, a very important one. Art, music, all that kind of stuff. But a lot of the people that I was hanging about with didn't have that, you know. So where else do they go, you know? And how do you restart your life? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I was lucky. I think the thing that anchored me through, you know, those like hollowed out years was, yeah, music, writing. Um, I've always had that inclination to kind of anchor in that way. Um, but yeah, I I definitely know what you mean. I don't under like I, I'm lucky. I count my blessings on that. I have I have great gratitude that, you know, I was able to kind of continuously do that. Whereas, you know, folks that don't have an outlet like that, like I, I have very strong like empathy for in a way, you know what I mean? Like if, if they don't have that supposition to anchor themselves and to keep kind of creating or doing things, you know, like you said with music or, or art or whatever, you know, then it's like really hard to, get out of the woods um, when there's nothing to look forward to. Definitely. I think that's a huge, huge thing because, you know, I think uh, that's why like a lot of addicts who don't really have um, things that they can do to be productive. It's, I think if, if you can't seem to find something to, to motivate you, it would be really in the person's best interest to join the fellowship of like the 12 steps and immerse yourself in that, go to meetings every day, get a sponsor, do the 12 steps, you know, get a job or get a, a role in the community, helping out, help out others, like just throw yourself into that. And that's what I've seen people do uh, is they just throw themselves into the, the uh, uh, 12 step fellowship. There's also other fellowships too, so that your, your whole life is basically consumed by it and uh, you can get a job. Yeah relationships and i think that's a, that it, it gives people things to do because yeah i also help. appreciate the communal aspect of it i think that's there's something very like lonely and dejected about going through you know these struggles and yeah. you know as much as i kind of scoff about you know what maybe the you know stereotype of like a uh you know a, a program is you know the 
few times that I've went and stuff, I've rather enjoyed it. I almost felt like I didn't deserve it, you know, because it was just so welcoming and ready and able to kind of be there for you. Well, there's definitely, the, the, you know, there, there, um, how should, how can I say this without sounding too cynical? Um, there is a, there's another aspect to that welcoming. So, it's sincere. It's real. It's love. It's there. Oh, you're not, talking about like a codependency a bit. Well, there's that. Yeah, there's yeah. there's that for sure. But there, 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 it's definitely a genuine thing. I don't think it's disingenuous. I think they really sincerely want people to to be included in a in a because they were included. So it's a, it's a extremely important. But there is another element to it, which is basically you're going to help out in some way too. So it's 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 like any organization or any group is that, you know, they want you to join and be a part of it. Uh, but you have to do your side of it as well. You're going to contribute in some well, some way in helping other people out, too. So, yeah. it, I mean, but I think that's kind of the norm for any. Sure. Community. Any collective or community. Yeah. yeah. I think oh, your mic is. uh going in and out oh there it is yeah okay cool so it, it's something i think people need to be aware of is that um it's not necessarily an altogether bad thing that uh there is that yeah i think the communal aspect to me was you know the most important i i, I definitely went at it alone um you know knowing that you don't have to means a lot and now with the advent of kind of the parasocial relationships we all have, especially in a time of quarantine, there's there's a community out there and it's easy. I mean, we're we're sitting here having this wonderful conversation about these deep, heavy subjects, you know, and all over the world right now. <laughs> you know, we're in uh, you know, we're we're across the world talking right now about these things. And so it's different when it's the advent where like, you know, the, the communities are at your fingertips if you search for them. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And that's, I think it's important for people to know that because um, if you're not into the 12 steps, people should know about me. I'm not a 12 stepper. I, I tried doing the 12 steps twice with two gentlemen that I respect and admire uh, both who I uh, knew personally and tried doing the 12 steps of doing with them. But it, it just was not for me. And uh, early on in my sobriety, I uh, was looking for alternatives to the 12 step. And fortunately, there are. There's there's definitely a lot of alternatives to them. Um, there's there's just so many different groups out there. Pretty much anything that you, if you have a belief system of your own, uh, you're going to find something very similar to it out there, um, especially on the Internet. There's, there's yeah. tons of support groups out there. Well, you know, and, you know, to bring it back to the confluence of magic, right? Like, I I think meeting you guys was was through magic. These are, you know, people that I share a lot of the same, you know, trials and tribulations. But because of our search, you know, for the communion of the other and metaphysics or whatever, like, it, it brought us together to kind of open up and talk about these things. And I think that's that's the other wonderful part about, magic is when you start you know looking and, and working you you do find the others and it's like a lot deeper than just finding other you know armchair occultists or whatever it's like you find personalities and beingness and and like heavy 
uh, vexations and ex hexes and you know what I mean, like like a, a true personable community. Absolutely, I think that's been so important uh, for me. Is I had to jettison basically the guys that I'd known since I was like 11, 12 years old. We had a, a big gang of us that were always doing stuff together, drugs mainly. And I had to distance myself from them so much. And I still haven't really replaced the real life friends, you know, because they're just too risky. Because I know if I get with them, oh, you still got that phone number, you know? So you guys are my friends. You know, my actual friends. And I think that's very important that we have a worldwide community of weirdos, dropouts, and uh, strange, misguided people. Naysayers, ne'er-do-wells, and rogues. Yeah, baby. (laughs) So let's go into, like, I'm sure there are addicts watching this right now or when it's uh, played back on, on record. What advice could we as survivors offer them? They're interested in the occult, but like from uh, like for me, what advice would I give myself who had convinced myself that being on drugs was kind of magical and uh, thalamic and I was I was doing my true will by ignoring the straits and you know you know how can we drag these people into a, a semblance of spirituality you know i'd say this first and this is something i wish that i had done i'd reach out sooner i would you know the people that are watching this if they have questions like reach out to us personally like start a dialogue you know um keep the conversation going i think there's a lot of stigma and shame about it and it's bullshit we need to eradicate that and so i my my goal is to be more personable with people that have questions about how i've worked even though mine is completely exper- experiential you know i don't have um a lot of advice when it comes to the you know different machinations and variables that make a person how they could do it but i will say you know uh finding that community and being open about it keeping the dialogue going keeping the discourse, um, reaching out, having personal conversations, having, you know, um, one-on-one just vexations, uh, like has helped a ton. And it's, it's not a lonely thing. This is a, you know, this has been a pandemic for forever, right? Like before this one that shut us in and, you know, it is a disease. And I think like we need to kind of wrap our arms around each other and, you know, kind of go forward. And it's just like a magical, like, practice, right? You, a lot of things, and especially in certain um, avenues of magic, you you find teachers, you find mentors, you find people to discuss with, you know, these things that, you know, could open, just break open your head to, you know, wonderful experiences. And I will say that I have had transitory states uh in my magical workings like when you shut down the the uh, like addiction or you you mute it a bit it's not that you stop transdimensionally wayfaring you know what i mean like there are other avenues to do that and this is one of them so that's what i'd say yeah 
agree with Keats there. And I think it's really important to know that for people who are into the occult and you want, say, either to reduce the amount of drugs that you do or you want to switch up the drug to something more minor, some more like harm reduction, or you want to abstain, the key thing that you have to understand is you do not have to give up your interest in the occult. You do not have to give up your practices. And that was one of the beautiful things that I found out when I quit uh, when I really, truly, truly did the transformation was when I quit alcohol, and that was in 2014. And that was the time when I, I created Love Chaos. Was that I was looking? I, I because my feeling was that people had to be born again, had to turn to Jesus and the Lord, and had oh, there's a book, and you had to, you had to be basically trans. You had to. <laughs> And so you had to become like a believer, like especially in Christianity, right? Or you had you had to, you basically had to believe in something, and it's just not true. Like you can continue to do your practices and have your beliefs the way that they were before, but you have to alter the, what you're actually doing regarding the substances, you know. So I think that's really important to know. Um, like I still have a very uh, uh, intimate daily relationship uh, with Babylon. And with a lot of uh, entities like Pan uh, and others that are kind of considered to be very like much about uh, intoxication, uh, uh, revelry, uh, joy in in pleasure. And so what I did was that I basically did not want to stop enjoying life. I had to continue finding pleasure. I just had to find the pleasure and intoxication in other ways. but yeah, just you know, I think I really want to 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 uh, uh, hammer home what Keith said earlier was that you don't wait to reach out. Uh, you really need to reach out to other people. Uh, it, addiction is really not something that you can kind of just do on your own. Um, and this is coming from somebody who's a staunch individualist. Uh, and I, my big kind of breakthrough was allowing other people to help me. And knowing that I didn't have all the answers and that I had to be able to be open to being humble enough that uh, I did need other people to help me. Uh, I needed other people in my life. And uh, when I was accepting of that, uh, that's really when a lot of things happened. And it just, you know, I think for anyone who, who's listening or watching this that has ha- had problems with addiction, Think about all the time and energy that you spent to get your drug, doing your drug. And so if you're planning on quitting that drug, you're going to have to spend just the same amount of time, the same amount of energy as you did with when you're uh, to quit it and to stay away from it as you did to pursue it and to do it. If not yeah. more, I think it's really important to know the seriousness of it. I think a lot of problems, a lot of times, you know, I had the same problem. I think we all do is we tend to minimize how serious this is. And so we don't really take it. We don't really tackle it as serious as it really is. We don't do all the necessary things that we need to do on a daily basis uh, to, to get sober and to maintain our sobriety. Um, You know, again, just think about it. Think about all the time and energy you spent in getting your drug. That's what you're going to have to do to stay away from it. That was that was part of it, you know. That was that was part of it. The zombie walk in the desert <laughs> to score, you know. Like it, it, imagine the hours, you know, spent yes. like waiting for that phone call or you know 
trying to, you know, connect with people to do that. And I think that's what helps is I rest a lot on those times, those times of panic, of like sickness, of annoyance, of, you know, just like sheer, de like depravity of the self and, and sitting and waiting, you know, <laughs> that helps me abstain a bit. And just yeah. like, God, I don't, it's, I don't want to go through it, that. It's the dependence. On, I mean, drug addicts are notoriously superstitious as well, you know. Um, but it's the breaking away from the, the powerlessness of addiction and stepping into a magical uh, worldview where you are at the center, you know. I think uh, the difference between religion and magic is magic's down to you. You're, you know, if, if you fill uh, that night. Mm -hmm. It's will, isn't it? It's it's your personal force and your personal um, uh, what's the opposite of inertia? Uh, momentum. Momentum. Yeah. Momentum to move forward and and uh, stop relying on that drug dealer getting up at a certain amount of time and what's the chances? You know, yeah. I spent honestly ten years of my life waiting for. A, for some fucking arsehole. Right. You know? Yeah. Too, just not, not only the waiting, but just all the social interactions that we had was revolved around that drug. Like I can think about all the people that I was with, both women and men. And just like my main reason for why I was with them was because they had a connection, you know, for me to, um, the crystal meth. And I, you know, a lot of the, relationships I had with women were they were heroin addicts and I would get I would they would Absolutely. be because I had connections to heroin so it would be my life and this was during the time when my son was alive I was spending more time with these heroin addict girlfriends or going to clubs or going to Orange County going here going there being this person being that person taking this person oh they're gonna go rob that person or they're gonna do this or they're gonna steal this car and just you know, it's all like you get all this, man, it just, um, and I think it, I, I didn't mean to scare people, like meaning that like you have to spend this intense amount of time for sobriety, but you really, people really do need to take it seriously. It's not going to be yeah. something to just like next day, you know, here we go. Snap your fingers. Right. And it, right. It's, it, it, it's, it's a process. It well, takes time. And it's a, it, and uh, you're you're in as strong as a willpower as you may have. It's not really about. I, I agree with you, Saroth, about magic, and I think that's true. But it's it. I think there's a certain part of it is putting in, um, preparing yourself and making the right decisions is just as important as willpower. Um, yeah, and I think it's also like you know the importance of interpersonal dynamics and you know harm to others even yourself too and i think that's you know my my workings with magic you know in the beginning was this like just incredible source of maybe not feeling so singular in the world feeling more you know connected and you know in this in this blanket of you know consciousness or whatever the somatic reality that we all share and understanding that yes you know the there is a practice to control and project will, but there's just as much practice to control and project that will without harming other people in the process too. And yeah. 
one thing through my like studies within metaphysics and you know um my addiction and mental health issues uh, you know i've come to is this communion that's needed with brain chemistry and considering brain chemistry as the other of which to commune with because you know oftentimes it's a it's a lack of control right and a lot of times you know in in mental health and a lot of onset you know mental issues and stuff that are systemic kind of of the self like it's not you you're not in control of it so it's trying to find this communion as you would with another entity you know your brain chemistry to kind of work in tandem with each other and to be you know less harmful you know or more yeah communion is just like the the biggest word i can i can think of for it and i think that to me that's like synonymous with magic is it's communion yeah right right it's definitely uh there's so many different parts to it there's the communion there's the willpower the willingness the desire you know um and I think it's also, again, going back to making the uh, right decisions and sort of, for one thing, it's like you, Steve, you were talking about, you know, burning your bridges from your, your previous uh, uh, friends who were using with you. And I think that's, a, a, it's, it, it's sad because we have these very painful process for me. Uh, you have these friendships with people uh, that there is more to than just the drug. There's definitely a lot more to it than just, you know, hey, you're going to get high, I'm going to get high. You build relationships and bonds with people. Um, I had some really great friendships with other addicts, you know, and I think that when we in our sobriety, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we look back at that time and realize that it's not as cold cut as as, as maybe we sometimes think, but it's, it's, it is about that though. It's making those, those painful decisions to, to, because that's a huge part of addiction is, 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 is using with other people. Uh, and um, it is a social, uh, has a social function. Um, so we have to find, make the decisions to be around the people uh, who are not going to, you know, perhaps offer us uh, uh, that pipe or that uh, needle. Uh, and I, I, because, you know, as a counselor, I see there's so many guys coming out of prison who are planning to go back to their 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 uh, their buddies back in the hood, who are still using, are still slamming dope, and still gang banging, and then they think, well, I've got this really strong willpower, and so I, you know they may offer the drugs to me, or they may want to go do this or do that for the hood or whatever, but uh, I'm going to say no, and I'm like, well, you you maybe you can like initially you can be able to be in that environment and say no and not do drugs and so forth and still may remain a friendship. But at some point I can almost guarantee you that you're going to say yes and that you're going to go back into that thing. So environment is like, I think maybe 70% of it choosing your environment, Yeah, you know, choosing the people that you're around and uh, who you associate with and who you spend your time with. Yeah. There's so many like outside you know, influences to the machinations that get you back into it. It's incredible. Sorry to cut you off, Stevie. Um, sorry, it just uh, reminded me of one of my pet uh, occult theories. It's Robert Anton Wilson, Timothy Levy, eight circuits, um, brain model, you know, where you make imprints. So uh, you've imprinted addiction on 
one of those circuits. So you have to find a, a more powerful um, imprint to kind of erase that. It's 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 very mechanical in that way that the human psychological brain hardware really. Yeah. So if we can um, take the transcendence that we used to get from drug addiction and 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 re-imprint devotion to a, a deity or a practice, meditation, you know, that will work. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, it's also too, like I said, you know, quitting alcohol was also an attempt to kind of rewire my brain uh, from the nonchalance and the casualness of, you know, this is my second sober stream. Like it got to a point where even I'm awkward in social interactions, like interpersonal ones physically, right? Alone, it would take me, I'd have to drink or I'd have to have something, you know, an exit strategy or just, you know, something it's like hardwired in my brain to just escape it or have, you know, some illicit kind of casualness with it using, you know, substances. And it started to hardwire into streaming and talking online. And I started to, you know, see that that it, it, the, the circuit was that any social interaction, no matter if it's in person or, you know, through this boob tube or whatever, you know, there's, <laughs> there's like this, just this, you know, need for supplementing it the same as I would anything else. And oh, um, yeah. I used to believe I was like a quite an extreme extrovert, but that was because I was on drugs the whole time. Now I realize that I'm absolutely introverted, and it takes me like two or three beers to even uh, send a text. You know, I'm that bad. That's another great thing to explore too: is your how you feel about yourself and how you interact with the world. You know, the extrovert introvert thing social experiences <clears throat> because that was huge for me i wouldn't go i wouldn't go to a party unless i had a drink you know well, like I, I i basically believe that i like the kind of person i was on alcohol and i mean, course, i can't talk to my family <laughs> without drinking you know and then so that turned into crystal meth this is i love the person who i was on meth i felt like superman like it could do anything i could you know, go to clubs and talk to any girl and pick her up and take her home. And, you know, it was just something that built this in confidence in me. But I think was I think for both you guys, uh, what what happened is that the drug initially, whether it's alcohol or, or, or drug or crystal meth, I became this person I didn't like to be at all. Yeah. And and I think that's an important thing for people who are, who are watching this right now is that if you find yourself doing things or behaving in ways that you don't like, you see yourself, then that's a good time to maybe question whether <clears throat> the thing you're doing is, is good for you or not. Um, you know, but yeah, uh, I just I wasn't being as intentional as I, as I should have been say with streams and interconnectivity via, you know, social media and stuff. And, you know, I almost kind of, took it as second nature you know it's just my nature that it's kind of all a bit joke and you know no one can read my acerbic nature or my sardonic humor so fuck them you know and it's like really ostracizing myself and realizing you know through the advent of 2020 and the quarantine like this is kind of all we got and i wasn't 
I was I was allowing myself to excuse myself and to be too casual and to drink and be too silly or too, you know, who cares, you know, laissez-faire or whatever, just like whatever. And uh, and that's, you know, that helped feed the need for like the ostracism that I felt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like the the separation and you know, I, I've been diagnosed bipolar. I've been treated for it. And like I said in the beginning, you know, my drugs were extremes. I have this need for dynamism in my life. It's just, you know, it's just kind of a part of my nature. It's either super high or super low. You know, it's brain chemistry, but it's also ex- experience. And it's been try- like trying to find that middle ground where, you know, I can be calm, complacent, serious, intentful, you know, without needing for everything to be a magnanimous experience in some right. way has, right. has been, has been the real difficult thing, but I'm with you, Stevie. Like I, if it wasn't for these sorts of things and me trying to rewire my brain into being more socially, you know, adept uh, without alcohol and all of that. Yeah. I'd, I'd be happy just tinkering you know, with my music and writing quietly. and <laughs> Why do we feel the need to, uh, I ask myself this all the time, every time I arrange a show, I think, yeah, that would be a fantastic idea, that would be really interesting. And, and then, like, I thought, oh, God, I've got this show to do. Oh, no, I don't want to know. You know, why? Uh, why are we like that, Keats? Derek, why are we like that? I don't know. And why are we drawn to the occult so much? What you mean? So you're asking, why do we like when we? Why do we uh, turn to substance to make us feel? Well, why do we keep putting ourselves in position? Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. You know, that we where we feel like we need to, like it's it by our hand. You know what I mean? Like no one's making us do a stream no or performance. A YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> I, am right. I know a, a lot of stuff about loads of things, and actually, I don't. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, that's been my purveyance too with the podcast and all of that is like, this is just for me. It's just a learning tool. Like, this is not a soapbox, so to speak. But I get what Sarath is saying, like, why, or Stevie, I'm sorry. Why, why we, uh, no more Sarath. Yeah. No more Sarath. Um, uh, why we, why we continuously put ourselves in these positions. A part of me feels like, you know, my, all my years as like a musician and a touring musician, and even all my years as a writer, there was always kind of an, an alcohol element to it, you know, and the streams that made it easier and kind of fun to do it. Now, taking that element away from it, there's a lot of stress, you know, waking up this morning going, oh, God, am I really going to talk about all of this, you know, serious, heavy shit about myself? But, you know, it's it's that it's like I keep putting myself in positions where I think, you know, I can handle it probably because I'm hardwired to think I have an aid to help in handling it. Sure. And when I don't, it's, it's like, yeah, why, why am I doing this? It's so stressful. It's so <laughs> you on the age of Aquarius and, you know, we're called to it. We're yeah. really. One thing I think, one thing that was really, I was very frightened of uh, when I was getting sober was, uh, you know, for, as you guys know, my writing is, is almost number one up there for me, you know, right after my son is, is, is my writing. Um, and so I was very afraid 
that I would never be able to write again uh, as a sober person. And I, I, uh, I actually didn't write for the first year. Um, I waited a, a while. And, I, and actually, I ended up going back to school to take classes to become a drug and alcohol counselor. So I, I didn't really do a lot of my own writing anyway. Um, I spent a lot of time away from my own creative writing. Um, because I just that I associated my writing, my creativity with some kind of substance, whether it be alcohol. As or, did I. This is my major problem. Yeah. And so it, it, it uh, in the beginning, uh, I uh, especially because those like those first couple of books that I published in, in 2012, uh, I had initially written them sober or at least under alcohol. I've written them under alcohol. But then the, the last versions, last couple of years, I, I wrote them, rewrote them, and I was on uh, Crystal. And my mind was just all over the place. And it, and it, it, it found its way on the page for sure. So I, I really found, uh, like, I was frightened as hell that I would just no longer be able to be creative. And so it was a slow process of getting back into it. But definitely it helped having coffee. It definitely mm-hmm. helped having cigarettes so i knew i had to have those things like okay well i can write i started writing again i was like writing essays for the first time in years and those classes i was taking so it helps with that you know i was kind of just slowly working back at it and it just finding that oh, okay i can write on coffee and cigarettes yeah. I, you know i don't need alcohol um i do so, my best writing in the morning you know sands even breakfast <laughs> like right. without putting a bunch of stuff in the body you know it it uh it is hard it is because we're we, we have this desire to create and express ourselves and to be understood we want people to understand us and to appreciate us and to respect what we do because it's so important but, but we're afraid of how other people are going to view it we're afraid how we're going to view it how are we going to be? Are we going to be happy with what we express? And so it, uh, it these substances kind of help to overcome that fear, that yeah. insecurity. Um, yeah, yeah, for me, it's always been the performative aspect that needed, you know, the alcohol or whatever. You know, when I'm alone and tinkering and working on stuff, I can I can reach that state myself. I actually have never really used, you know, drugs to create. Um, and the times I've done, I've come out with, you know, the worst pish posh applesauce I think anyone's ever read or heard, you know. Mm-hmm. So I learned quite, quite quickly that it was more of like when I wasn't creating, that's what I was doing. You know what I mean? Sure. I, I think caffeine seems to be the best drug to to do some good writing, you yeah. know, because it <laughs> definitely not meth, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I actually, you know, when I look back. I look back at those books that I wrote back in, in 2012, my first novel, I, and uh, the short story collection. Right. Oh, that was, was, you were intoxicated there? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so it, um, some of the stuff that I came up with was like, wow. I mean, I think the, the, the thing, wh- wh- why I like, I still like those books is that they still had, they were originally written when I was sober or under alcohol and coffee. So they mm-hmm. had like, they had like a structure to them. So they already, the stories were already there. And then I just messed around with the language and the crystal definitely helped to produce some weird, magnificent stuff. But then eventually I found my writing was getting worse while I was writing uh, with under meth and other drugs. It was getting worse. Yeah. And worse. 
And yeah. that was the other motivation for me to for this. Uh, okay. Some, to play devil's advocate for a minute. Yeah. Do we think that uh, drugs are bad across the board and never do drugs, kids, because it always leads to gotterdammerung? Uh, no, I think it, we'd have to define drugs. Maybe something like meth and heroin I could agree with, yeah. that they're probably bad across the board. You know, but then again, who am I to say? I'm sure people, you know, if they, with the right amount of intent and experiential nature of it, once in a blue moon, you know, safely or whatever, there's there's a lot of caveats to it. But as far as drugs across the board, no, I think that, you know, psychedelics can be useful for the self. I think, you know, and there's they're coming out with a lot of studies that you know, cannabis. Uh, psychedelics you know even molly ketamine these things can help in therapeutic ways if taken correctly and under care so yeah yeah it's a vexed question isn't it it's, it's like yeah. a, it's finding a fine line um i'm struggling to find that line at the moment you know yeah as it, far as self-medicating yeah i think it's really hard i mean just as someone that doesn't have the you know the medical knowledge to know what i'm doing with it you know as far as like my intake or what i should be kind of regulating or whatever um but as you know when it comes to having some supervised effort in a kind of nurse practitioner looking over you or you know just someone with a you know maybe an academic knowledge of biochemistry and biology i could i could see it being beneficial to you know if if necessary but as far as just kind of you know, being out in the dark woods alone, naked, stark, and raving, you know, <laughs> like I think that. Well, you've you know, been there, Keats. Oh yeah, I know oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a complicated thing. I think you you can't just say no to drugs. You know, it's not something that it it you know that Nancy Reagan solution to the war on drugs is just not. It doesn't work. And I the think war that, on drugs lost. Yeah, it, yeah. drugs won. I think though I think though that um, I think that it's uh, we really have to look at it in terms of the evidence and uh, people's personal experiences, and I think that um, I think we should be careful not to be either too anti-drugs or too pro-drugs. I think currently right now, you know, marijuana is is taking on it's just so uh, popular, and certainly is not nearly as dangerous as you know. A lot of other drugs, but I think in, in reality, um, from my own personal experiences, not just my own use of it, but seeing other people on it, um, it has some downfalls for sure. I've seen some really bad things oh, as yeah. a of people taking marijuana, um, and so I think that there we really have to look at each individual drug, see what it does, see what how certain people respond to it. Some people go on. Uh, uh, on a murderous rampage on some something really s slight and small just because of their brain chemistry, you know, and like how they respond to the drug. So I definitely don't think like, you know, I, I'm really big for one thing, for sure. We should definitely decriminalize drugs. People. Yeah. Absolutely. There needs to be avenues for rehabilitation. Yeah. Yeah. We have so many people in our prison system here in California. Just I know. Oh, God, the American prison system, just uh, it's, it's the injustice of it. 
yeah, yeah. It's, and we we're, we're trying to get as many people out of prison right now in california and i as a counselor who works at a, a re-entry program that's what we do we get we're getting guys out to go to treatment and then go out into the street and um so I think it, it's we're in the process right now. Obama basically mandated uh, when he was president, he told California, you've got to release, you know, a certain certain amount of prisoners over a certain amount of time because we just had just so many people in our prisons here. I mean, and, yeah, being incarcerated for weed is just ridiculous beyond control, beyond all get out. Yeah. yeah. So it, 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 I think it's a really good question, Steve. You know, I think... Uh, I, I definitely, you know, I think people shouldn't get too excited one way or the other. That's how my feeling is. You shouldn't be you know, too, too excited about being anti-drug. And I think you should be careful about being like a big pusher proponent for drugs. It reminds me, Derek, you know, we, uh, Steve, you brought up, uh, you know, Timothy Leary earlier. And that whole tune in, drop out, everyone should tune in, drop out culture. Like I never agreed with. You know, not everyone should take acid. <laughs> like, not everyone should take acid. You know, as much as it helps maybe a large portion of the users and stuff, you know, like, it's just, it's too hard to blanket. You know, it's just way too hard to be general about about those things, either pro or against. Definitely. I think it was a very interesting time, the late 60s. You know, the, the doors to... Um, I mean, yeah. what we're seeing now with that crazy demonstration at the fucking uh, Congress building yeah, Capitol. Is, is like a, a, another little quake in the uh, the dawning aeon um, of Aquarius. Well, I, I yeah. think you're right. I don't know. My, my, my dad was, a, and my mom were, you know, they're baby boomers and, uh, they're part of that time. My dad went to prison for three years because he was a he was a believer in that revolution. He believed that the true revolution was opening people's minds through psychedelics. And he yeah. his drug that he sold was synthetic uh, mescaline. And he would only give it to certain people. He thought, you know, he was very careful about selling it to people. But he really, truly believed that he was a part of a, a movement. And so I, you know, I, I definitely find, sure, a lot of fault that time but I, I understand where they're coming from like they were really trying they thought that you know timothy leary and robert anton wilson was part of that too and they really thought they were a part of a revolution and that these certain kinds yeah. of drugs would help people to a certain extent but there's there's so much uh noise uh electronic static craziness yeah so guys uh I think we've had a fairly good chat. We'll yeah, this is wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Pleasure to meet you, Derek. I've still got to read your books. I'll just <laughs> share them on. Okay. <laughs> and two books, you know. There you are, yes. End of the world. <laughs> and guess who wrote the forward to both of them? <laughs> oh, well, it was Keith Ross. Can yes. I write the forward to the next one? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was well, great. To have Keith's right on forward to the books, you know, it uh, it was it's definitely something that uh, it really helped tremendously, you know. It was a great honor to to write the forwards for sure, and they're great works. Yeah, people really should check out Derek um, and all of his wonderful multimedia uh, artistic expressions. When are you um, going to write a book, Keith? 
I, I've got a couple. I've got a fiction one, and I've got uh, working on the Divergent Magic one. Maybe 2021. You know, I had a. I, I was doing a uh, treatment for the Divergent Magic one for a publisher in Portland, and I'm like on the fence. I'm. I'm. I don't want. No one needs another how-to fucking magic book. They really don't. So I, it's more of like an experiential kind of, you know, uh, biographical thing about my work with magic and, and addiction and mental health and stuff. So it's, yeah, we'll see. But uh, yeah, hopefully there's a lot of good things coming out in 2021. Um, the uh, audio sigil that we're both a part of uh, should okay. be done by my birthday. Or our birthdays. Yeah. <laughs> Is the audio sigil ever going to come out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I basically made three separate little mini albums that, you know, to kind of tether all of the stuff together. So, yeah, it's just, you know, with life and everything going on, it's it's just been a slow burn, but it's definitely going to come out. And it's going to come out. I hope to have the masters ready by the end of February. So. Fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I feel like we could have done a, a part two, part three, part four. Well, maybe we actually shoot. Uh, this has been the, the like the opening stanza. Sure. We can, uh, do more. I'd love to speak more to you, Derek. Can you we should, uh, do something like this again. You know, maybe include other people too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Let's have like a, like a a round table. Right. Right. Okay. Thank you, brothers. Yeah, All thank right. you. Absolute and honor as ever. Okay, guys. Good night. I'm ending the broadcast now. <laughs> <laughs>